You're listening to audio from Anchor Bible Church in Centerpoint, Iowa. If you'd like to find out more about our ministry, please visit www.anchorbibleia.org. Amen. Amen. Would you take a seat in an attitude of prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you, we worship you, and we give you glory in all the ways, Lord, that you have sustained us in our lives. Even up into this moment, this point, as we have been able to pray, rejoice in a children's message through worship. We ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds, Lord, whatever has taken place this past week, month, year, whatever it is that is trying to take over our thoughts right in this moment. God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you just allow us to be here in your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is a good day to be here at Anchor Bible, and uh, I hope each of you received one of these as you walked through the door and got a warm handshake. It's been a while since you've received a piece of paper as you came in. No, it's not a bulletin. Uh, It is going to be a resource that we're going to use throughout our uh, study, our new study as we head into the book of James. And uh, what we're going to have each week are some highlighted points on one side and then the other side, an option for you to be able to take some sermon notes. Uh, We're just taking a step here to try something different and uh, see how it goes and want to encourage you to just keep that right there in your Bible uh, just uh, upon reflection. And uh, we're going to have those again through uh, this study on James. And it is really good to be able to come to this book. As you know, we've gone through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We've got, seems like we go out series after series, and it was in my time of prayer and, and so many different conversations with you and with so many others, even non-believers, of like, what is or where is like a how-to book of Christian faith? Where is a, a shorter version of the basics of Christianity? And James is termed Uh, as a genuine Christian uh, basics for Christian faith, and it is used widely for a lot of of churches and congregations and faith growers and seekers and discipleship. And so we're going to faithfully jump into James, and um, I would say he eases us in, but we're going to find out real quick here this morning, James, there's no easing in, okay? So this is a buckle up, sermon series, and it's going to be a, a, a really fun ride. So with that, I want to open by reading uh, James chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read from the NIV translation. It'll be up on the screen. I want to encourage you, if you have a translation or Bible of your own that you uh, are comfortable with, use that, okay? All right, so here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you, are, when, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all 
without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises on the scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after, de after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that he might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Hey, Pastor Tyler, I've got a lot of echo up here. I don't know if you could help me out with that. Appreciate it. All right, so that's a lot, right? That's like drinking from a fire hose as James opens up. It really is. And, and we're going to get into some of these hard topics and these hard points about life, but it's interesting how he begins, right? If you, if you go with me again, James, a servant of God. Another translation says, James, a slave of God. Now it's fascinating of how he opens up with this because James, believe it or not, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now this isn't to be confused with the disciple James. James was the head of the first uh, church council in, in Jerusalem. As we read in Acts chapter 15 and Acts 13, there's a lot of interaction. This is a, a council that is made up of the apostles, the elders, and, and disciples. And the first name they were given was called the way. And as we read in Acts 13 and 15, the first structured church was called Antioch. And this was a mission post where Gentile Christians would be sent to. And, and it's important, this church Antioch is actually where the name Christian came about. That's where the believers first received the name Christian. But in all of this, as James is the half-brother of Jesus we might think, boy, those are some big shoes to fill. But we'll see, as James opens up, saying he's a servant and a slave, that he doesn't take that kind of stance of these shoes he has to fill. We'll say, we'll, we'll say a, a little bit more here in a moment, but it's important also to note that as James being the half-brother, being on the church council, all of these different things, James is also accounted to us as one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. Before 50 AD and shortly after Stephen's death in Acts chapter 7. So for a time frame, it's believed that Stephen, who was uh, the, one of the first Christian martyrs, was killed in uh, AD 34, and between 34 and 50 AD, James 
uh, this book of James was written. So it's very early. And the people that James is writing to, they're persecuted Christian Jews. We'll get into greater detail here in a moment, but it's a call for each and every single person that would read it to live a genuine faith and one that transforms lives. With all of this in mind, James has very specific themes. And again, this is on your card here. Such as living faithfully, trials and temptations, the law of love, wise speech, and wealth. But for our sake today, we're going to begin with verses 1 through 18 and focus on what we would call enduring faith. As we heard in the children's message and as we just read here in the Word of God, James opens this up. So let's break it down, beginning with James opening. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So first, what does it mean that James is introducing himself as a servant? As the, the Revised Standard Version says, uh, uses the word slave, it's a depiction of, of James being of utmost obedient and a servant unto God. You know, James doesn't open and say, hey, I'm James, the half-brother of Jesus. Listen to me. He doesn't even try to step on that line of his status or his relation of any kind. He opens by saying, I am a servant, I am a slave unto God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important because it helps us get in the mind frame of what God is speaking in and through James. James is not looking for attention. James is is not looking for some status. James is authentic, a servant of God and of Jesus. Meaning he's obedient. Meaning he's humble meaning that he's loyal. He doesn't have a a prideful status in his background. But the second part of this verse is important as well. James addresses the 12 tribes of the Jews scattered among the nations. The term used for that is the diaspora, literally meaning millions of Jews that were spread throughout the nations beyond the promised land. Now this is important because these Jews that were spread out by the millions were one of the greatest impacts of the spread of the gospel. Here's why. In many places, there were already synagogues. These churches where Christian preachers could start sharing the good news. The Jews also had a great knowledge of the Old Testament. And in this day and time, there was not a location where a Jew was not. They were everywhere. Everywhere. So exactly who is James addressing when we read the 12 tribes? So there's three probabilities, and there's some of you that are going to say, nope, you're wrong, Pastor Andrew, but I'm, I'm offering you here the three probabilities. First is the exact, to the T, 12 Hebrew tribes dispersed outside the promised land. Second is the Christian Jews who were dispersed outside the promised land. And third, the Christian church. As we recall James overseeing the council in Acts chapter 15, he addresses not only the Jews but the Gentiles as they were having that dialogue. But I think what is very helpful for us is what the Apostle Paul 
fleshes out for us in Romans chapter 9. I want to read this, okay? Because there is, coming into this uh, focus, some people might say, you know, it's, it's really not for all Christians, it's just for Jews. But I, I don't believe that. And I think this is why, right here, Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 6. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not, by, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Paul further goes and, and is explaining to us and helping us understand that, yes, as God chose to work through Israel, as God has chosen the Jewish tribes, as he's chosen to use them, a conduit of how he's going to work, bring covenant and promise, and ultimately Jesus Christ. It is an understanding for us that in and through Jesus Christ, it's not just about your physical descendant to Israel, but it's about your faith in Jesus Christ. We'll read that in Galatians. Uh, the true Israel of God is those who believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, therefore being made in themselves children of God, Israel. But if you're taking notes, I want you to underline this. Because James is in a clear urgency about being a faithful disciple. One that we need to take heed to and to listen and all of those three different options, I don't want you to get tied up on that. I put that before you to think of the expanse of where James and who James is writing to. And he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Now, if you're a Bible underliner or a note taker, I, I hope that you can do this. James says, when you face trials. Not if. He says, when. So he's starting off right off, right off the get-go. It is a, a universal fact about life. It's not an if, but it's a when. When something is going to come your way, when you are going through a trial, or when you're going through a test, it is going to happen. Not a maybe, not an if, a when. He's starting by saying it's a matter of fact, as a follower of Christ, you are going to face some hard things. We might ask ourselves, why? Why, why? Why would a loving God allow this to happen? But notice, and this is important, God will test us and allow tests and trials in our lives, but God will not tempt us. That's a very important distinction to understand. We'll get to the temptation part in a minute. The Greek word pierismos is the word here for trial or test. It's a core word that has an intention. It means it has a beginning and an end. The one who goes through this emerges stronger and purer. We often misplace and, and, and don't understand the purpose of a test or a trial, and we point a finger at, at God in anguish of like, why would you let this happen to me? 
I thought that if I loved you, if I believed in you, things would go great. But James is encouraging the early Christians and us today that these tests of life are to be a place we find joy. And that's what we see throughout the ancient martyrs in the faith. In many ways, finding joy in the tests is the opposite of what we expect, anticipate, or even how we are raised or what we learn in school. First, it's just weird thinking about find joy in the middle of a test. I mean, there's some people that are maybe a little goofy like to take a lot of tests, but what, Paul, what James is saying here is in many ways contrary to what we grow up with. Think with me for a second. How many of you thrived in school? Everybody should raise their hand because even if it wasn't in the classroom, you thrived at something else in school, whether it was lunch or PE or detention. It doesn't matter, right? We all thrived in school one way or another. We all had teachers or coaches or friends that stuck with you and really invested in your life. And you look back and can reflect and you say, well, I was either worse or better because of them or those moments. Some areas strong, some areas weak. But the universal aspect of what many of us have gone through throws us for a loop when we hit the real world. In school, we are given lessons. We spend a duration of time learning about a subject matter or uh, this chapter or this lesson, this textbook. It doesn't matter. But after that lesson period, you're given a test. But more often than not, that's not how life works. Think with me for a moment. How many of you have been in a situation that you would rather not be in or wonder why you're in it? Yes, we've all had these moments. The moments of life as we grow up going through these lessons in order to take a test, life in many ways is the opposite. We are given a test in order to learn a lesson. I say that again. In life, we will be tested in order to learn and grow. This, this can apply big and small, whatever scale. If you're a parent, at some point you've had the talk with your child or your children about this very thing. Did you learn your lesson? Our youngest, Magdalene, right now, she's going through this hippie stage. She does not like to wear shoes. Sometimes no clothes either, but it's part of the potty training thing, right? She, we have baby kittens at our house, so she just wants to be outside with kitties or the horses. And she is super fast. I know we're, you're, you're coming off a back injury, and I'm, I put on a lot of weight. But Maggie is so fast, doesn't wear shoes. We keep harping on her. you got to have shoes on. You can't go outside without shoes. Nope, I'm good. Nope, don't touch me. Get away. Run, right? She gets this big old sliver in her foot. And so she's limping around, and we're sitting there at the table, and she's soaking her foot in some warm waters. We're trying to soften up her foot to get this uh, sliver out. 
and it's really hard to rationalize with a two-year-old, did you learn your lesson? Because all she thinks is she has an owie. And I'm sure you can relate in so many different ways, and you have your own stories and your own testimonies of what is common sense. You're like, oh, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And how did you get to that kind of wisdom and knowledge? It's through life experiences, through actually having lived it yourself. And so James is helping us as Christians understand a life is going to have tests in order for something else to happen. We find the word test or testing here, which is in the Greek uh, uh, a direct correlation to sterling coins, money that has no impurities. The purpose of a test in life is to bring us to a state of purity. It's to remove the bad and hard things. I remember coaches at North Linwood always say, oh, the pain is just weakness leaving the body, right? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But these tests taking course in life bring forth perseverance. The word hupomone. This is a perseverance that brings forth a glory and a greatness. And again, we note the Christian martyrs, the heathens who killed them, and the eyewitnesses and the testimonies of those who were burned at the stake, rejoicing, praising God in the midst of their death. It terrified them. Terrified the people who were killing Christians because the Christians were rejoicing in the face of that test and their death. So let's recap a little bit before we go any further. When we go through tests, we are to be joyful because those tests refine us, bring us to a pure state, which produces a kind of greatness and glory in our lives. And as Christians, and this often happens when we reflect, we can see the places and sometimes even feel the moments that the tests have changed us. Which brings us to verse 5 through 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In the first four verses, James calls for joy in the tests of life and that these tests produce within us a refining process and brings us closer to God and, and helps our faith grow stronger, all for us to apply, apply each and every day in life wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says in verse 5, which means if you are lacking the ability to apply what you have gone through in these tests to life, ask God. He's going to give you wisdom and understanding. He's going to help you. God wants to generously give us understanding and what we're going through and how to apply it to life. See, it's interesting because today, and especially in the, the school world or the scholarly world, they look at wisdom as some like uh, it's some philosophical or, or very super far off reach spiritual thing. But here, biblically, wisdom is common sense. Wisdom is 
uh, daily application. And so James is saying, if you've gone through a test and you're struggling with how to apply what you've gone through and what you're learning, ask God. He's going he's to help you. He wants to give you direction. He wants to give you understanding so you can apply it to your life and then therefore also help others as well. This is an important detail because when we go through the seas of life, the rough, turbulent winds, and we're not sure, we call upon God. He's our hope. He's the anchor for our souls. The wisdom that God gives and desires is to give nothing but practical, everyday, useful wisdom. But we must be certain in our asking of God for wisdom. As James says, you must believe and not doubt. He's presenting here a doubting soul, someone that is in two different places, a kind of person that wants to believe that God is good and wants to help them, but also like, eh, you know, maybe God's not going to. Now this makes sense as James makes the argument that as a born-again believer in Christ, we have our confidence in Him and Him alone. And that's why James moves into the next argument Verses 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, many have taken this and they will run with it and say, you know what, as a Christian, you have to be poor. Uh, You should have no money. You should not any of that. But what James is saying here, the humble circumstances are those who are surrounded with a kind of worldly wealth reliance. Now this is the comparison. Those who are rich in their life in Christ are those who are in the humble circumstance. Those who place their wealth in their relationship with Jesus Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit. The eternal relationship. Not seeing worldly wealth as their security. You have that person in their humble circumstances, and then you see the individual who just lives every day for the wealth. James is saying those who are in the humble circumstances, those who have put their faith in the Lord, that is going to last. Those who are putting their faith in their riches, that is fading away. That's not going to last. We see this all over the place. You and I both know that there are a lot of miserable miserable people out there who have a lot of money. And there are a lot of miserable people out there who have no money. What James is trying to help us see in all of this, in all of the hardships and the tests... It isn't dependent on what we do or what we have in the world's terms of wealth. True wealth comes in our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why he's saying this. And then we read verse 12. I promise we're getting to then. My wife's laughing. We're on page 17 to 20, so buckle up. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life and the Lord has promised to those who love him. My father-in-law always says when we are done baling hay or doing something, he says, well, endeavor to persevere. And I always think about that. We bring it home today by looking to answer this question. How do I know as a Christian if I'm going through a trial, a test, or a temptation? God will give and allow tests and trials in this life to come. But God will not tempt us. We pray every week the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally meaning God leads us into the life that he has set forth for us and helps us not fall into our temptations, delivering us from the evil one, as in the Greek. And James answers it in the fullness, verses 13 through 18. When you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. I think it's very powerful how James brings this home in verse 18. God's going to allow tests and trials. There's going to be difficult things in our lives. It's not to push you away or to punish you, but it's to draw you closer to rely upon God in your life. God wants to do something in and through you, wants to make you more pure in the gospel terms, wants to help you in your sanctification, wants to bring you closer into the image in which he's created you and the image in which he has saved you through his son, Jesus Christ. God's purpose and plan for your life isn't that you just get to sit on uh, clouds and, and rainbows and just have just this easy breezy time. We're all witnesses to the fact that life is hard. It's difficult. Sometimes downright, we just want to quit and give up. But in the midst of those moments, we're to find joy that even in the thing that we can't see the end of the process, the end of the test, end of the trial, God's doing something in here. He's shaping, he's molding, he's reforming within us. He's removing the impurities to bring us into a state glorification when at last I can receive the crown of glory to hear the words well done good and faithful servant brothers and sisters you and I here today no matter what you have gone through and no matter what we are going to go through tests are hard
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that as we're able to sit in these 18 verses, we're able to dwell upon the practical application, the reality that there are going to be hard moments in life, these tests. And you're doing something good because you are good. So we praise you, Lord, and help us to seek and find joy even when that's not our first response and the things that we face. But here and now, Lord, may you always be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite our communion helpers to come forward, and as they're coming forward, we recall the night which Jesus was with his disciples in that upper room. And if anyone were to know of a test that was coming, I remember Jesus praying in the garden, asking God, Lord, if if it be of your will, remove this cup from me, but if not, your will be done. In the midst of pain and anguish, crying tears of blood, joyfully with his disciples, he lifts a loaf of bread. It says, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, Jesus took a cup, and that cup was wine. It represented his blood. He gave thanks to his Father in heaven and to his disciples who were sitting there. And he said, take and drink from this cup, each one of you. For this is my blood poured out for you and for many, the forgiveness of your sins. This is the new covenant I make with you. Do this in remembrance of me. So brothers and sisters, we come forward this morning to an open table. It's welcome to all to come and receive of this bread and of this juice as we remember, as we participate in what Christ has given us to understand He has died for us. He has been resurrected for us. He ascended into heaven for us. Each and every one of us, as we come forward this morning, remember and live into our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So give us a moment to set the table, and then we will invite you forward.